0: Hey friends, welcome to the Threadcast. This is Ryan Smith, pastor at Common Thread Church. I hope that you are having a great day. Happy Tuesday to you, if you're listening to this the day this comes out. Uh, I usually try to get this out on Mondays, but uh, it's been one of those uh, just first couple days, and so I didn't get it there. I apologize for that, but uh, it is what it is. Um, so if you're joining us for the first time, we are in the midst of a series of Uh, The big title is called The Best of Romans, Replacing Power and Privilege with Peace. Um, But really the concept here is we're looking at Romans um, with that that theme of replacing power and privilege with peace. The idea that this is what Jesus' intention is from the very beginning, um, that there is a power in place when he writes this, when when, uh, Paul writes this, um, the, the Roman Empire and the Christians in Rome are trying to figure out what it means to live as a new follower of the way. Of Jesus Christ, what does it look like for me to live in this this incredible empire? Uh, what do I do? Do I fight back? What does it look like? All this kind of stuff, and and Paul gives these words of wisdom that he gets from Jesus, um, and he says, "Yes, we're going to fight the system. We're going to rage against the machine, but we're going to do it in a unique way. We're going to do it in a, in a third way, kind of way, and and we're going to instead of doing it with with power and and, and, and other might, we're going to do it through peace." And so. Um, you know, he he's, he emphasizes this concept of we don't want to keep the cycle going, you know, because everybody understands that when there's a war, when there's another army, you take it over by having more might, by having more chariots back then, by having more atomic bombs and whatever it might be. Um, but, but Paul is saying, no, that's not the way of Jesus. As Instead, the way we're going to do it is that you love God by offering your entire body to daily to God and and you know in chat and we're reading Romans backwards to kind of get the emphasis on this um, and so in chapters nine through twelve we get this concept about loving God by offering our entire body daily to God uh, but then um, in other sections of that nine and twelve we find out that the way you do that is through the up and and out um, through a relational sense of um, that first you have this relationship with the divine, with God, and that you give yourself to something greater than you are. Paul knew that as Yahweh. And then you give yourself to the end, which is the body of Christ, the people who've dedicated themselves to the way, the ones who are are, are seeking out what it means to follow Jesus. And then those, uh, and then the last part is is those who dedicate themselves to the out. That you have a relationship with the public. That you don't just build this little church or this little castle and put walls around it, but that you go out and you engage the people around you. That you love them. That you serve them. That you allow instead of taking over them with power and might, um, you serve them with love and peace and unity. And that is a crazy, crazy thing. Um, and so that's what we get in in nine through twelve. Um, and so now we're getting ready. To, or, or, or yes, what am I doing here? No, twelve through sixteen. Sorry. And then, <laughs> I'm, I've totally been uh, misquoting. That's twelve through sixteen is what we've been in. Now we're jumping into nine through eleven. Uh, sorry about that. So we're 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 now jumping into the sections nine through eleven. And this 9 through 11 gets us into the front half of, or the middle part of the book. And it actually would be considered, if you could kind of lump it into 1 through 11, is where we get this deep um, theology, this deep um, teaching of, of about what it means to be a, a Christ follower. But we're going to look at 9 through 11 because there's, this, there's, a, there's an important thing that's coming out here. Um, but before we do this, um, we have to realize that as we dive into this... Um, we're going to get deeper and deeper into theology. We're going to get deeper and deeper into to concepts. And we're going to try to take it at a level where we can each kind of um, assess it at our own level and um, and figure out what it means for each one of us. Um, and that's the beauty of scripture is that there's different depths for, for where you're at. Um, so I think that's really cool. But um, what you need to understand about going into 9 through 11 is that context, 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 context is everything. Um Time kind of example um, that was given to me is golf, right? You know, so you could you could just ask somebody, "Hey, I'm 200 yards from the hole. Uh, what what iron or what what club should I use?" Right? And so, if you are just a, a you know a, a off the street kind of golfer who just kind of plays for fun, you know, you just kind of say, "Well, I think I'll use this," right? But a pro is going to say, you know, he's going to have all kinds of questions to answer that question. He's like, well, you know, what's the course look like? What's the grass look like? What's the wind? What direction are we going? Um, what, what, you know, what's the hill? You know, all these types of questions. They're going to know all these questions to ask um, to get to the right answer. And this context is, is the same thing, is that to understand 9 through 11, you need to understand kind of the lay of the land, the course, if you will, before you dive deeper into this. And so, um, I want to. That's what we're going to be doing today: is kind of giving some context to this whole nine through eleven. And then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive a little bit deeper um, into it. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, and, and as you dive into this, if, if this is the first time you've been in, in the uh, Book of Romans, and you start reading nine through eleven, it's going to feel um, very daunting um, because they bring in all these these other Old Testament scriptures and stuff. I just encourage you to just read through it and and just kind of maybe read through it um, maybe three times over over this next week and just allow it to kind of sit in with what we talk about today. And and I think um, it's going to be inspiring to you um, if you will let it be what it stands for. And so let's talk about context of this chapters nine through 11. Um, So remember, he's always, always addressing the, the concept or, or the, the theme of replacing power and privilege with peace. that That is that is his goal. He's trying to teach his people how to do this. And he's written this book, or it uh, really would have been a letter, um, to a group of people in Rome. And Rome was the capital back then of the Roman Empire. We kind of all know that. Um, but more than likely in Rome, there probably would have been about five, what we're, we're going to call house churches, not big churches, but five house churches that were made up of two groups of people. Um, Those groups um, in chapters 12 through 16, we get um, that he labels them the weak and the strong. Now, as you hear those words, sometimes we put um, bad connotations to maybe the weak or whatever it might be, but really he does not mean for it to be one because he talks about that one is one, one is the other, and then we learn to accept each other. There's unity in that. But it, he does use this as, as this as a distinction to separate these two groups out so that they know who he's addressing. And so as you read through 12 and through 16, you see that when he references the weak, he's referencing Christians who used to be Jewish. Okay, So these are people who have had centuries of teaching of, of following the Jewish way, following the God Yahweh, um, but in in Romans, they are labeled as the weak. And then the other group is the strong. And those would have been people who were Gentile Christians, or those would have been anybody who was not Jewish that became a Christian. Um, so from the Roman Empire, from wherever else they might have been. And what's important to realize is that these two groups um, were not just, um, you know, just two different groups from the from the same town. These were two very distinctive groups with different backgrounds. Um, and, you know, The way we kind of used the example this past Sunday was the idea is that if a, if a child was born in the UK and a child was born in the US and they were taught history as they were growing up, they would have a very different understanding of the subject of history. They would have been taught different things. They would have understood different things. They would have even looked at um, you know, um, the the different wars, or the same war differently because of how they were taught, right? So I think we kind of understand that. The same would have been true true for the Jewish and Gentile Christians. Because you see, um, these Greek and Roman or these Gentile converts, they grew up on Homer, On Virgil, on Hesiod, on Thucydides, or Herodotus, or Livy, on Plato, on Aristotle, or on Cicero, or on Seneca, they knew about Romulus and Remus and about Julius Caesar and then the emperors, not about Abraham or Moses or David and the prophets. They knew Rome and Athens and Carthage, not Jerusalem, and Capernaum. They knew Octavian, not David, and Goliath. They knew the laws that found their way into Justinian's digest, not the laws of Moses, and their innovations. So if the story matters, then Paul's converts would need a fresh education in the story of Israel, and the story of the Messiah, and the story of the church. And that is what he is doing in chapters 9 through 11, is that in bringing these two groups together, he's wanting to give them a unified story, a story that they can call their own. This is our history. And and what he's trying to do is say, what you've learned in the past has been that these two um, different histories have existed. And he's trying to find a way to merge them, to be true to them, that there has been a distinction in some, but that we're gonna that we are now moving forward under a unified story. So chapters nine through eleven is Paul trying to do this to bring this together. And so he uses five sub sub-categor- categories um, in this these three chapters to kind of tell this story. And um, we'll look at them in more in depth in the in the coming weeks. But first, he uses names. So he starts throwing out names of, of who the, the Jewish Christians would have known. And he starts talking about narratives, you know, stories that they would have told growing up that they knew um, each one. And then also major events, you know. So for us here in America, uh, 9-11 is a major event, right? Um, Or where were you when the shuttle died? Things like that. So they're using language like that. And then he he uses citations. And what that means is that he quotes um, passages from the Old Testament. And so he does it a lot, but it's very important to To pay attention to which ones that he does quote, um, and that will have um, purpose in bringing our story together. And then also, um, there are a ton of questions in these three chapters. And what you need to realize is that, as we talked about very at the very beginning of this study, this book would have been delivered to the Roman churches um, by a, a a letter deliverer, and that letter or deliverer would have not just delivered the letter, but probably would have been taught how to read the letter, how to answer some of the questions that came up. And what we found, which is so amazing, is that this would have been represented or read by a woman named Phoebe. And there's just so much, um, man, depth and and thought in just that concept alone, that a woman is the one that's going to bring the gospel of Paul um, to this Roman people, that that he's doing it. But What's really interesting in, in this section, 9 through 11, when she read it, she probably would have paused at each question and allowed um, the, you know, when it was the Jewish Christians who were being addressed, um, it, she probably would have challenged them to kind of think through it and answer that out loud. And, and, and even when there's questions for the Gentile Christians, she would have done the same thing. And so this would have been a very powerful teaching moment but this has been a moment where she that where she or Paul is trying to give this new group of people a unified story and this unified story is going to have two focuses that we're going to that we want you to think about the f- the first one is a theological focus right is is the deep spiritual depth to what they're wanting to say and the main thing that they're going to say in all of this is that God is faithful now Um, the second part of this is kind of interesting, um, is that God's plans are not straightforward chronology. And what I mean by that is this idea that God is faithful, but he is always faithful no matter what is happening in the world, that, that he can be faithful even when somebody else is not faithful or when there's a government that's not faithful or when the people that he's chosen to do something, they don't do it. He can still be faithful, right? Um, And so this is a huge thing, but this is also can be a a dividing point. Um, And this, I want you to hear this because if we're honest, the concept that God is faithful is as a hard pill to swallow because there's so many times in history, um, if you look at the broad scope of history, you know, so many times you can see in the broad scope of histories, and you can say, God, where were you, right? Where were you when all those Jewish people were, be, were being killed in the concentration camps, you know? Or where were you when, you know, all these bombs dropped? Or where were you when you know, this kind of stuff? But even if you take out the broad um, stroke of, of, of time and we just look at our own lives, right? There's t- moments in our lives where we can say, God, where have you been? And, and there's moments where we just don't understand and what he is saying to these people. Uh, remember, if you're a Jewish Christian um, and you're in Rome, you have Every day you wake up and you walk the streets, you are reminded of a government that is ruling you, that has you as a slave, that can take your possessions anytime they want, that owns your homeland, that 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 you pay ninety percent of your wages to, that they can they've maybe killed or tortured family and friends. And Paul is saying to him, God is faithful. Um And to the, you know, the the same is true for the Gentile Christians there as well, is that they would have had to wrestle with what does this look like and what does this mean? And so this is the message that he's saying that I want to unify you under, is that there is a theme that you need to hear that God is faithful and that what he has in store for you is incredible. Now the pastoral focus of this um, is, and this is kind of where we talk about what is the, What is the depth or what is the humanity behind the theology what is it how does this apply to who we are and how we think and a couple of themes that come out of this is this the first one is this is not about who gets saved in a personal sense a lot of times when we look at romans we 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 start talking about the word salvation we talk about what it means um to be righteous and, and to become um you know to have eternal salvation whether you're saved or not and there's there's, there's parts uh, where that's understandable in Romans where it's easy to go to that. But I want you to see in chapters nine through 11 that this is not about a personal sense of salvation, that there is a corporate sense to what he's talking about. And then um, what he's really emphasizing here is who the gospel agents are in God's redemptive plan. And what that means is that God has this story that he is wanting to to restore humanity, that he's wanting to replace power and privilege with peace, but that he chooses not to do that through his own way. And some crazy thing is that he chooses us humans to do that, that, that we are a part of the redemptive story, that we are a part of bringing hope and salvation to this world. And in this story, this unified story that he's telling He's showing that that once it used to be the Jewish people, but now now that Jesus has come, that there are Gentiles, and that, that he's brought Jewish people and Gentile people together for the sole purpose of telling his story. But there's also a warning here in 9 and 11 that just because you were once part of the, the story and helping tell the redemptive plan, you can lose that. That just because you are a part of it now, you may not be a part of it in the future. And there's some great um, things to think about in that as well. And so this is a challenge for us to think about where we are in the plan of God for this cosmic redemption. Is that who, what are we doing today to be a part of what God is doing in restoring? Um, Power and privilege with peace, where do we take our place in it you know in the in this chapters nine through eleven he 's challenging those uh, Roman Jewish, and Gentile Christians to think about that, but I think that's an application for us as well as where do we take a place? What is our role in that? what is common thread? How does common thread join those people who met in homes um, with Roman chariots and Roman soldiers marching outside? How do we fit into This story. And again, we come back to this concept that at least for now, what we're talking about is a corporate identity and not an individual identity. That this is a corporate salvation, not an individual salvation. And that's hard for us. Your um, Western thinkers to think about because we're taught so much to be individuals. We're so taught so much to to be people who, who take care of yourself, who pull yourself up by the bootstraps, all this type of stuff, right? That we have individual rights, that we have individual freedoms, that we have this individuality to who we are. And yes, God made us individually with unique gifts, but we were made for community. We were made to be a part of something greater than just being a, a, a singular entity, and so, in that, our salvation is wrapped into a corporate, into a communal story. That you are a part of a story that is greater. And I love, I, I love that common thread that we are learning to live that out. That we're to, we're we are um, becoming a church, a body of people um, who um, live in different places of the world. And so individually, we, we, we face life from our own um, British or our own Arkansan or our own Hoosier or whatever ways. We, we have our own struggles and we have our own ways to day in, day out live it. But yet we also have this corporate identity of common thread that we are one uh, in this world. And that's what we invite people into to join us. And so we are wrestling with this already, um, even though it might not make sense. At the end of chapter eleven, um, Paul gives this doxology, or this this kind of this prayer of of just kind of a charge, if you will, of after giving this unified story. This is kind of his he, he speaks these words over um, over the the Roman Church, over the Jews and the Christian or Gentile um, Christians. And I want to read those words to you because I think. Um, they are so powerful in, in, in charging us with this as well. As we seek to, um, A, um, acknowledge that we're part of the unified story, that we seek to understand that story, and then also as we seek to take our place in that story. And this is what he says in Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment, and how, and his paths beyond tracing out. You know, Paul begins by saying, you know again, this is part of that up thing is that there is this concept that we recognize there's something greater in this world, uh, this God, this Yahweh and he knows more, he is more he, he is something that we can never put in a little box that he is beyond, beyond our understanding. There is a recognition of that. And I know that there's some people out there who who wrestle with that and that's maybe where you have to begin. But for others, this is this is something we have to recognize. We have to remember that even though we know about God, even though we know about Jesus, that we will never know everything because the wisdom and knowledge of him is so unsearchable that we can't understand things that he, do, he does. And then he goes on and says, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That our unified story is God, the most incredible thing, that he is the common thread through everything. So everything is for him, that we don't do anything without him, and we do things so that it can be for him as well, right? It's that circular thing that goes on. And so that's the story. That's what we're signing on to when we give our life to the way. When we give our life to to following the divine. When we give our lives to Jesus. And so that's kind of just I want you to think. This week is more kind of a cerebral, cerebral, cerebr- cerebr- a, a mind <laughs> thing. Uh, can't speak right now, um, but it's this lesson is more something we think about, right? It's this idea. That there is a unified story that we grab hold of. That we have a history. That we see that God has done something in this world. But also that we acknowledge that He's doing something now. That today, on March 8th, March 9th, whatever day it is, 2021, that God is at work. And not God is at work sitting up in heaven and just kind of doing His thing or making things happen, pulling strings. God is at work through you, that you are a part of the story. You are writing the next chapter. You are writing the next verse, that you have a place in this cosmic redemptive story. You are called to join, join in the story, join in as a team, and join in the corporate communal story of bringing forth peace, waging war, taking on power and privilege, but doing it through the team that he created 2000 years ago. And even before that, um, and we are to take the torch and keep going forward. So that's our challenge. That's what we do. How are you going to do that? What is it your unique way to add to the corporate story that God has been writing? Hope this gives you something to think about. um, And we'll kind of talk through a little bit more and love to hear your thoughts on faith life. Hope you have a great day. Grace and peace.